I'm excited to preach this morning. We're continuing our uh, sermon series, Abundance Over Scarcity. We're reading from Mark chapter 13, verse 1 through 8. You can find that in your Bible pew on page 1447. It will also be on the screen. You can also pull out your favorite Bible app. If you're at home, you can pull out your iPad. Look it up. Mark 13, verse 1 through 8. Mark 13, verse 1 through 8. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings? replied Jesus. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mountain of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? What will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming, I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I start out this morning, let me see a show of hands. Has anyone here seen or been to Mount Rushmore? Have you been to Mount Rushmore? Okay. If you have not been yet, plan that summer road trip. Get there. It's not going anywhere, I don't think, but still, try to see it. I'd be interested if we could somehow this morning be interested to hear what you thought the first time that you saw Mount Rushmore. I remember being very impressed. I've seen other great things built by human beings. Just recently, my wife and I were in Chicago. We saw the Sears Tower, now called Willis Tower. That doesn't sound right, does it? Willis Tower. Anyways, uh, it's huge. It is impressive. It's amazing. I've seen the Golden Gate Bridge up close. My friend had a sailboat, and so we sailed right near the Golden Gate Bridge. That is a fun perspective. The Golden Gate Bridge is impressive. It's beautiful. But when I saw Mount Rushmore, I don't know, it was different. Maybe it was just the sheer difficulty of carving presidential heads into the side of a mountain, or maybe it was because they did it so long ago with what seems like primitive tools. I don't know. But I remember thinking and seeing it for the first time thinking, Wow, that's really amazing. I wonder if that's how the disciples felt in our story this morning. They looked around at the temple. It was an impressive building with huge, huge stones carefully crafted and fitted together, weighing tons and tons. And it really is impressive. I've been there. 
A few years ago, I was in Jerusalem on a trip, and I went to what remains of the temple. There's nothing left of the temple, but the mount, the foundation on which it was sitting on, there's a piece of it still there. It's known as the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall, the foundation upon which the temple stood, and those stones are huge, and they fit together perfectly. 2,000 years later, as I stood there in Jerusalem at that wall, I was impressed. Can you imagine during the time it was there? In all its glory, the disciples were impressed. But Jesus doesn't seem to share their enthusiasm. In fact, he has a completely different take. At the end of the liturgical year, uh, and as we begin another, starting the first Sunday in Advent, like I mentioned at the beginning, at the end of this Christian calendar year, the lectionary always has us looking at and thinking about the end of the world. Yes, the end of the Christian year. Let's spend some time thinking about the end of time. The Bible teaches that one day Jesus will come back and his return will be sudden and unexpected. But there will be signs. For some, this has been a source of anxiety, and so there's been a long history of people trying to predict the exact day, the exact hour in which Jesus will come back. They've all been wrong. (laughs) But they still try. And in Mark 13, the disciples too wanted to know the signs that would signal the end of the coming of the age. They were curious and, I suspect, a little anxious to know how all this would end, and they wanted to be ready. How will they know? In our passage this morning, Jesus is talking about the end of time, the end of history. He starts out specific talking about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And we know from historical records that that actually happened. The Romans destroyed the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD. They burned the temple. They threw down every single stone, reducing it to a pile of rubble. So Jesus talks out, starts out very specific, but then, surprisingly, he gets very generic. It may seem specific, wars and earthquakes and famines and false messiahs, but if you think about it, there's nothing new about all these things. They've been a part of our normal lives for thousands of years. So it turns out that the end times is actually a very long time. So how do we find our footing in these times? How can we stabilize ourselves when the ground beneath our feet is shaking and shifting? It's the same thing that the Christian community was facing nearly 2,000 years ago when Mark wrote these words of Jesus to his Christian community who were going through things like wars and rumors of wars and famines and false messiahs and, and earthquakes. So in uncertain times, how do we find 
our footing? How do we find our foundation? I want to talk about three things this morning that are going to help us, three practices that help us in these end times, which turns out to be a long time, but still, three practices that will help. The first thing that we need, if you're taking notes, this will be helpful. (laughs) Write this one down. We need a whole bunch of discernment. Discernment. Jesus said this, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. Let me see another show of hands. Do we have any sports fans here this morning? Okay. Oh, we got some. Uh, Let me see a show. Are you not a sports fan? Oh, good. Okay, good. There's always a bunch. Anyone an NBA basketball fan if you are a sports fan? Okay. Do you remember a player? He doesn't play anymore. He's retired. His name was Allen Iverson. Do you remember Allen Iverson? Allen Iverson was an NBA basketball player who played primarily for the Philadelphia 76ers. He was a gifted athlete, did amazing things on the court, despite only being six feet tall. I'm actually one inch taller than Allen Iverson. So if, if, you know, if you're six foot tall and you want to be a basketball player, it is possible. Many athletes have nicknames. Erwin Johnson was known as Magic Johnson. LeBron James, King James, as he's known. Michael Jordan was known as Air Jordan for the way he could fly through the air. It's also the name of his shoes. Allison, uh, Allen Iverson was known as AI. That was part of his nickname. But he also had another nickname. Do you remember what it was? Allen Iverson was known or called The Answer. The Answer. Which begs, you know, what is the question? In fact, his first uh, shoe line with Reebok, his very first shoe line with Reebok, the first shoe that came out was called The Question. And then every shoe afterwards was called The Answer. Jesus said, many will claim I am He and will claim to be The Answer and they will deceive many. Now, Allen Iverson was a great basketball player. His nickname was The Answer. That's kind of funny. But there are others who will make stronger, more assertive claims. Beyond the basketball court, they claim to be The Answer. Alger Park Church, don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. Be discerning. Be discerning. Don't get too swept up into any person, any political party, any president, any celebrity, any philosophy, any method or formula that claims to be the answer, that claims to be the answer to the world's problems and the world's brokenness. probably don't have to say this this morning, but I will. There is truly only one answer. His name is Jesus. He is the Messiah. He's God's answer to a broken world. So don't be deceived. Don't get too excited about any one particular person or political party. These end times are long times. 
So we're going to need a whole bunch of discernment. The second thing we need, and so did that community that Mark was talking to 2,000 years ago, we need a whole lot of patience. It's right in line with discernment. Followers of Jesus shouldn't get too excited about this event or that event, this person, that person. We should not be alarmist. We should take the long look. We should be patient. Last year, I don't know if you remember. Let's see how good your memory is. Last year, I preached a passage from Matthew about this time of year, and I said, waiting for Jesus to come back and make everything right, it is not a sprint. It is a marathon. It's a long-distance run. At this point, it's been a 2,000-year long-distance run. So how do we pace ourselves for the long haul? It's not living in a panic. Some people get very panicked or very worried about Jesus coming back. It's not about being panicked. The Christian community should not be marked by worry or anxiety. But we also shouldn't waste our time obsessively trying to figure out the exact day or the hour. And and perhaps most importantly, it's not about being afraid. Don't be afraid that Jesus is coming back. Don't be afraid. It's about really living long, ordinary days as a follower of Jesus. It's about practicing patience. And the third thing we need, we need some hope. We need a lot of hope, actually. When Jesus said all these things, the famines, the wars, the earthquakes, the false answers, false messiahs, Jesus said it's the beginning of birth pain. Jesus seems to be saying that God's salvation, it's going to be a process. It's going to be a long one, but it's a process that culminates near the end. And the birth pains have begun. It's a striking image because it takes seriously our present sufferings. There's no denial here of real pain. It seems like According to Jesus, new life involves a process of pain. But with God, our pain is not wasted. It's not meaningless. It has a purpose. Now, we may not always understand the purpose. We don't always know the meaning of our pain and our struggles. But... According to Jesus, the pain we experience is a sign of the end. It's also the sign of a brand new beginning. New life. But it's going to be painful on the way there. So in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain, we ask for God to give us the courage and the strength to remain hopeful that God is working in the world, that God is working in our lives, that God is working in our communities. God is bringing forth new life. Maybe you've gotten tired of this, but over the long weeks here, I usually start out the service by saying, it's the 14th Sunday in ordinary time. It's the 17th Sunday in ordinary time. Now this morning it was the 25th 
Sunday, in ordinary time, a season after Pentecost. I think ordinary time, it's not as exciting, honestly, as Christmas and Advent and Epiphany and Lent and Good Friday and Easter. Those are, those are powerful moments, powerful times in the Christian calendar. Ordinary time is that long stretch when we simply we live out the story of Jesus in our ordinary lives, which is most of our life. It's just ordinary. Most of our life is just going to school, going to work, paying bills, washing dishes, cleaning up messes, changing diapers, meal planning, raking leaves, hanging out with friends, getting the winter tires put on, shopping for a new shirt or new shoes, brushing our teeth, feeding the dog, cleaning out the gutters. So much ordinariness. But it doesn't mean that those times are not also special. Because God is working in the midst of our normal, ordinary lives. Even though we cannot maybe perceive it, by faith we trust God is there. God is here. And so in these end times, in these long times, we need three things. We need discernment. We need to be able to weigh what we're reading in the paper or on the internet or seeing on the news. We need to be able to weigh that, discern. So we ask the Lord for wisdom. We need patience, especially if you are in pain. That's hard because we just want the pain to be over. And God promises that one day it will be over. But while we wait, we ask the Lord, give us patience. And the last thing that we need is hope. The Christian story is a very hopeful story. So you, as a follower of Jesus, you cannot be cynical. Not if you're a follower of Jesus. Because the story ends very hopeful. The story ends very good. Just like it started out when God said over and over again, it is good. It's going to end very well too. But sometimes while we wait, how we just get discouraged. It seems like it's a little too long. And so we have to remain hopeful. According to our sermon series, there seems to be a scarcity of details in Jesus' signs to us. It all seems a little too generic. We'd like to know more, wouldn't we? At least I would. Jesus, can't you be a little more specific about some of the signs? There seems to be a scarcity of signs. But it is enough to know. 
the one who holds history in his hands and to trust that he is the beginning and the end. And our whole lives are lived out under his grace. Let's pray. We're thankful, Lord, that when things feel shaky, both in our world and in our lives, that there is a firm foundation upon which we can stand, and that is your promises. Really, that's you, your character, who you are, that you never change, that your promises never change, that 100% we can count on you, that you're going to do everything you said you would do, that you're going to make all things new. And so, Lord, while we wait, give us discernment, give us patience, and we ask for hope, too. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.